Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of substance abuse and suicidal ideation. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Crisp fall air blew in through the windows as Charlie Smith and his fiancée, Tanya Bundick, drove through the night. Their evening outings gave them the opportunity to get away from the stress at home. Usually. Tonight, Tanya needed to talk. She told Charlie she loved him, but understood if he wanted to walk away from their relationship. Charlie's heart sank. He panicked at the thought of losing the only person he had left. As Tanya pulled the car over, Charlie glanced at her, trying not to beg. He swore to Tanya that the last thing he wanted to do was leave. She slowly turned to face him. Beside them, set back from the road, sat a little white house. If he really wanted to make her happy, she told him, then he would burn it down. I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a Spotify original from Parcast. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim, or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, we'll meet Charlie Smith, an unassuming man from rural Virginia. While grieving the end of a long-term relationship and the loss of a loved one, he met a woman that reignited his lust for life. But Tanya Bundick, had more than love on the brain. Next week, Charlie and Tanya's passionate relationship sends an entire county up in flames. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers and industries there was a lot of excitement there was a lot of skepticism the impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning from the journal trillion dollar shot find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts sandwiched between the chesapeake bay and the atlantic ocean lies an isolated stretch of virginia farmland called accomac county In the early 1900s, the railroad cut a direct path through the peninsula, taking the local produce with it across the country. Before long, Accomack was one of the wealthiest rural counties in the U.S. Unfortunately, they couldn't keep up with the pace of progress. By the 1950s, folks were heading to the mainland for college or to search for jobs, and most never came back. Over the next decades, Hundreds of homes and businesses that had sprung up during the boom were left vacant. For those who stayed, the abandoned structures haunted the landscape, ghosts of the past. 
By the time Charles Smith was born in 1974, Accomack County was a shell of its former self, and his parents' marriage wasn't doing much better. Charles, who went by Charlie, was still an infant when his biological father left. Soon afterward, his mother Brenda remarried. Her new husband, George Applegate, was a steady presence in her life, and his love for Charlie was so obvious, folks assumed they were blood. As he got older, though, Charlie couldn't help but wonder about his biological dad. A note before we discuss some psychology. I'm not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but we have done a lot of research for the show. According to an article by clinical social worker Dennis Balcom, young boys are especially likely to be negatively impacted by fatherhood abandonment. Many internalize a sense of worthlessness and are prone to developing a shame-based identity. In turn, this can result in anxiety and depression. Charlie's insecurity only deepened when Brenda and George had children of their own. Though they did their best to treat Charlie the same way as his siblings, he still felt like the odd boy out. His parents could tell Charlie was struggling. Possibly in an attempt to bond with him, George took the eight-year-old boy to the body shop where he worked. And he took to it like a natural. George noticed his knack for bringing old cars back from the brink. From then on out, Charlie spent summers as his apprentice. After a few years working side by side, George introduced Charlie to his other passion, firefighting. The small town station didn't have the funds for salaried employees, so they were volunteer run. Charlie joined the Tasley crew on his 12th birthday, and that day alone, the alarm rang three times. As a junior member, Charlie had a coveted privilege. He was able to leave school whenever they needed him. It worked out great for Charlie, who had no interest in academics. He vastly preferred being on the truck with his crewmates, riding straight into disaster. It wasn't the adrenaline he craved, though, but the feeling of importance. The station was the one place he knew he belonged. Things on the outside were a different story. His sense of alienation from his family became worse as he got older, and it bled into the rest of his life. People in the community described Charlie as kind of big and a bit slow. But as he rounded the corner into his teen years, he gained some new friends. Young people in Accomack County pretty much had to make their own fun. This was especially true for Tasley. Too small to be considered a town, the population in 2010 was just 300. It wouldn't have been much bigger in the mid-1980s. With such a small crowd, there wasn't much in the way of entertainment, no malls or movie theaters. One of the only surefire ways to have some fun was smoking pot. At 13 years old, Charlie tried marijuana for the first time, and he really liked it. When he was high, he could forget his insecurities. Even better, everyone seemed to be on the same level, laughing at the same jokes. Once he started to smoke, Charlie never wanted to stop, but dope didn't make school any more interesting. Between working at the shop and firefighting, Charlie figured he had enough going on, so he dropped out in ninth grade. We don't know much about his late teens, except that he got into progressively harder drugs. At some point, he graduated from marijuana to crack cocaine. 
This must have strained his relationship with his parents because around the early 90s, Charlie moved in with his uncle, who we'll refer to as Jim. The exact details are unclear, but it seems that as Charlie's substance abuse worsened, he stopped working at George's shop. Desperate for a way to fund his habit, he stole a gun from Jim and sold it to score. Jim figured out what happened pretty quick, though he chose to keep it to himself. He watched silently as Charlie continued to rob him, taking a coin collection and then a bicycle. In 1994, 20-year-old Charlie crossed the line. Somehow, he managed to get his hands on his uncle's checkbook and started cashing in. Before long, he'd forged nearly two dozen checks. This time, Jim turned him in and Charlie was sentenced to three years in prison. In 1996, the judge suspended the rest of his sentence and gave him three years probation. In order to be eligible, however, Charlie had to get treatment and pay back his uncle. When he returned to Agamac, Charlie made an honest attempt to get clean. He moved back in with his parents and joined a program for his addiction. But recovery isn't a straight line. Despite his good intentions, Charlie relapsed a number of times. Throughout it all, Brenda supported him unconditionally. She believed in the best version of Charlie and told him so every day. George, on the other hand, took more of a tough love approach. Still, both of Charlie's parents were in his corner. He may have felt like an outsider, but the truth was people really liked Charlie. He was an easygoing, gentle soul, even his parole officer was rooting for him. So it's not surprising that, in spite of his troubles, Charlie still found plenty of company. After hooking up with an old friend a few times, Charlie found out he was going to be a father sometime in 1998. Wanting to do the right thing, he proposed. The woman turned him down, but assured Charlie he could be involved in the child's life. Although he wanted to be there for his baby girl, he relapsed again later that year. During a three-day bender, he and a friend got caught stealing power tools. Charlie found himself back in a courtroom where he was sentenced to another four years in prison. Remarkably, the judge took pity on Charlie. He offered to replace the sentence with two more years probation if Charlie completed the detention center's drug program. We don't know exactly when he was released, but he chose to stay in Central Virginia after that. He found a job at a poultry factory. It was hard work for minimal pay, but it was honest. And he had more than work on his mind anyway. Shortly after starting his new gig, Charlie met Mary, a single mother of two. She saw him across the factory one day and was instantly smitten. Charlie was different from the guys Mary usually went for. He was relaxed and sensitive and had no trouble expressing his feelings. The more he talked about how much he missed his daughter, the harder Mary fell. They'd only been together a little while when Charlie asked Mary to move back to Accomac with him. She knew that he wanted to be closer to his daughter, but she had her own children to think about. After some back and forth, she decided her feelings for Charlie were stronger than her hesitation. In no time, Brenda was thrilled about the move, especially because Charlie seemed to be doing so well. His stepdad wasn't quite as excited about the homecoming. 
George and Charlie's relationship hadn't recovered from the impact of the last few years. But perhaps having Charlie back at the auto body shop would give them the chance to mend things. So he and Brenda agreed to rent the couple a small house down the street from the Tasley Fire Station. Once they were settled, Mary's kids joined them. Charlie loved to be counted on, to be the provider, and it gave him another reason to commit to his recovery. He regularly attended Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous meetings and stayed clean. Seeing his progress, the Tasley fire crew invited him to rejoin. Before long, Charlie resumed his place as one of the station's most reliable volunteers. He wasn't what anyone would call the take-charge type, but he followed orders to the letter and never hesitated in the face of danger. Being back at the station with his old buddies and a familiar routine felt like home. For the first time in a long time, Charlie was hopeful about his life. With so much focus on his career though, his relationship ended up on the back burner. Coming up, Charlie and Mary reach a standstill. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the ParCast series Mythology. Every Tuesday, join me on a wondrous journey back in time, exploring the most epic battles, sweeping love stories, and harrowing adventures ever told. Heroes, gods, monsters, mayhem. This podcast has it all. From the Knights of the Round Table and Hori the Hunter to Paradise Lost and the Lost City of Atlantis. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes history's greatest stories, bringing their origins to life and giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe. Ancient myths, modern twists. Catch new episodes of Mythology every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Listen free only on Spotify. Now, back to the story. When Charlie Smith and his girlfriend Mary moved back to his hometown of Tasley, life seemed to right itself. Charlie had a job, a family, and friends. With so much to look forward to, he had no desire to start using drugs again. Eventually, he and Mary got engaged. They didn't feel rushed to tie the knot, though. Before they knew it, it was 2011, and they'd been together for nearly a decade. Despite how long they'd been dating, Mary couldn't seem to let go of her past trauma. The little devil on her shoulder planted doubts in her mind whenever Charlie left the house. She couldn't help but wonder if he was out cheating, and when he got home, she'd often pick a fight. In time, they both reached their limits. It seemed like they argued more than they spoke, and in truth, neither of them felt happy anymore. Mary and her kids moved back to Central Virginia, leaving Charlie alone in the now empty house. He stood by, heartbroken, as his family dissolved before his eyes. To add salt to the wound, his favorite uncle died of cancer shortly after Mary left. And before Charlie had time to process the loss, life threw another punch at him. His mother, Brenda, was diagnosed with the same disease that claimed her brother. Charlie and Brenda were incredibly close, she was the only person who never lost faith in him. The thought of losing her sent him into a tailspin, and eventually, 
he relapsed into substance abuse. After nearly a decade on the wagon, Charlie started going back to bars. The hottest spot in Tasley was a place called Shuckers. It was like a redneck Studio 54, where the in-crowd danced on tables and everyone else watched from darkened corners. Although Charlie went there to drown his sorrows, he enjoyed the scenery as much as the next man. One woman in particular caught his eye, along with every other. Blonde hair and long, tanned legs, Tanya Bundick looked like she'd stepped straight out of the pages of a magazine. But the reigning queen of shuckers hadn't always been so popular. Like Charlie, she was born and raised in Accomack County, in the town of Parksley, a few miles north of Tasley. Growing up in the 80s, Tanya was a typical nerdy kid. She studied hard, wore big round glasses and hand-me-down clothes, everything a school bully looked for. But she wasn't as easy of a target as she seemed. Tanya inherited her father's temper, and rather than break down, she fought back, often physically, no matter who messed with her. Back at home, Tanya's mom, Susan, taught her the importance of caring for others. Before she married Tanya's dad, Susan had studied to be a nurse and her textbooks were still laying around the house. Fascinated, Tanya spent hours flipping through the pages. When Tanya heard about the Health Occupation Student Association, a vocational program at her high school, she practically ran to sign up. In the afternoons, she and the other students in the program took classes in home health care. In the early 1990s, Tanya graduated high school as a certified nursing assistant, which meant she could step off the graduation stage directly into a career. With Accomack County's aging population, there was no shortage of folks in need of care. Tanya found a job further north and moved to the swanky island town of Chincoteague. Billed as Virginia's only resort island, it was the one part of the county that managed to maintain its status as a tourist destination. Tanya had been there for some time when she struck up a romance with a local landscaper. Their relationship caused something of a scandal. Tanya's new companion was black, and even well into the 1990s, some people in Accomack County were prejudiced against interracial couples. This might be why, despite having a son together in 1998, Tanya never admitted they were officially together. Within a few years, the couple had another son. But shortly after that, Tanya took the boys and moved back home to Parksley. There, she picked up another nursing job, this time at a home for mentally disabled adults. The pay wasn't great, but Tanya quickly won the respect, if not the friendship, of her coworkers. It's not that she wasn't friendly, she was just a hard person to get to know. She didn't share a lot about her personal life, the one thing she loved to talk about was her kids, who took up most of her time. After returning to Parksley, Tanya threw herself into mom life. She always brought homemade goods to the bake sales, packed healthy lunches, and did her best to make sure the boys had everything they needed. It wasn't easy to accomplish with her meager salary, but Tanya learned to make do. Life went on happily for a few years, Tanya felt grateful to be near her family again. But in 2006, tragedy struck when Tanya found her mother, Susan, collapsed in the backyard. 
We don't know for sure what happened, but medical records indicate Susan died instantly. Susan left Tanya her house as an inheritance. It must have been a bittersweet blessing. Tanya would get to raise her sons in the same home she'd grown up in. Between working, mothering, and now grieving, Tanya had a lot on her plate. She needed an outlet to help her unwind at the end of the day. She caught wind of a spot out in the country where she could find herself a good time. From the first night she walked into Shuckers, Tanya turned every head. Given the size of Accomack County, there were plenty of people at the bar who'd known Tanya once upon a time. They could hardly believe this blonde bombshell was the same mousy little girl who used to tussle on the playground. Tanya was finally getting the type of attention she'd always craved, and she soaked it all in. According to psychologist Dr. Mitch Prinstein, achieving this kind of status is a double-edged sword. Not only are those with high social standing more prone to depression, but they're usually less satisfied in their personal relationships. That's probably because these people are constantly searching for ways to prove and improve their position. But Tanya wasn't concerned with any of that, yet. She was busy pressing the redo button on high school. She even became a local style icon. The other women in town feverishly emulated her clothes, hair, and makeup. Aware of all the eyes on her, Tanya put more effort into her looks. She started going to tanning salons, a lot. Sometimes she even went to multiple shops in a day to get more sessions in. She was sun-kissed and toned, and her going out clothes got sexier to show off her assets. By 2011, she practically lived a double life. By day, Tanya was a respectable nurse and mother. By night, she was the life of the party. She had her pick of men, and there were plenty of contenders vying for their chance. One night, a quiet guy in the back caught her attention. She'd seen him around before, but he never so much as said hello to her. Either he was painfully shy, or he was playing hard to get. Whichever it was, Tanya wanted to know more. That night, she decided to make her first move. After talking to some people on the dance floor, she realized they had mutual friends. In a maneuver reminiscent of high school, Tanya sent one of these people to break the ice for her. Sitting at the bar, Charlie was in a dark place. He had 16 ounces of cocaine in his pocket that he hadn't decided what to do with yet. He'd wondered more than once if it would be enough to put him out of his misery. A presence behind him interrupted his downward spiral. Tanya Bundick had sent a friend over to ask why Charlie never talked to her. Charlie was stunned. Never in a thousand years did he think a woman like Tanya would notice him. So far, he'd kept his distance because she was clearly out of his league. The messenger returned to Tanya with his reply, and Charlie probably figured that was the end of it. Until later that night, the same friend found him again. Tanya wanted him to have her phone number. Charlie might have wondered if the whole thing was some kind of joke, but the friend punched the numbers into his phone and handed it back to him with a look that said, 
Don't mess this up. His mind reeling, Charlie stepped out of the bar to get some air. People came and went, but Charlie was too wrapped up in his thoughts to pay any attention. Finally, he noticed someone hovering nearby. It was Tanya. Their conversation started slowly. They both stumbled through the awkward small talk phase. Charlie let loose more than one nervous giggle, a tick that had haunted him since childhood. He kept waiting for Tanya to get bored with him and walk off, but she never did. Her questions made it seem like she actually wanted to get to know him. Before he knew it, he shared things most people don't the first time they meet. Tanya listened as he told her about his struggles, including his substance abuse issues and prison time. She didn't seem to judge him for any of it, but she did make it clear she wouldn't allow an active drug user around her sons. Charlie's stomach dropped as he remembered the baggies of cocaine in his pocket. It was about so much more than the drugs or Tanya. Charlie believed he was the kind of person who everyone else eventually left behind. It started with his father and his recent breakup had only proven it. Choosing Tanya meant he had hope for the future, but the truth was he didn't know if he did. He snapped out of his thoughts and into the present moment, back to the beautiful woman in front of him. At some point, they must have noticed the late hour. Tanya had to get some sleep before work in the morning. After she left, Charlie went back inside the bar and made his way to the men's room. Alone in the stall, he held the bags of white powder in his shaking hands. Charlie had stood at many crossroads in his life, and he seemed to make the wrong choice every time. This time, he closed his eyes and prayed that maybe he'd finally get it right. Coming up, Tanya and Charlie strike up a fiery romance. Now, back to the story. Sometime in late 2011, 37-year-old Charlie Smith spent a night talking with his dream girl, 40-year-old Tanya Bundick had appeared like an angel in his life, interrupting his darkest thoughts. Tanya made it clear she wouldn't allow someone using drugs around her kids, so Charlie flushed his stash that same night. Over the days and weeks that followed, the pair called and texted one another regularly. Tanya said she wanted to keep things casual. Eager to please, Charlie told her that was fine with him, but it was only a matter of time before he realized his feelings were deeper than that. Although he hadn't taken much initiative at the start, Charlie was the first to drop the L-bomb. Tanya followed suit a few days later. Charlie was just so sweet and easygoing. They were always joking around and playing like little kids. Together, they made each other's lives more fun. Once they shared their true feelings, the relationship got serious fast. Tanya couldn't always find or afford a babysitter for their dates, so Charlie spent more time at home with her and the boys. He was ecstatic to be back at the helm of a family. Charlie's daughter even started visiting him at Tanya's place. He spent so much time there that eventually he just moved in. Tanya still lived in the house her mother left her, which was too far of a commute for Charlie to keep volunteering with the Tasley Fire Department. 
Despite how happy firefighting made him, Charlie seemed to give it up without a second thought. Whether it happened naturally or by design, their lives slowly came together. They even merged their Facebook profiles into one account called T-Char. They still spent most nights at Shuckers, but now they reigned together as king and queen. Make no mistake, Tanya was still top dog. She had a reputation to maintain and made sure Charlie looked the part. When they went out, she chose his outfits, coordinating them with her own. He had to look good enough to be with her, but not so good that he detracted attention away from her. She didn't need to worry though. Most people who knew them were surprised by the pairing. It might have made more sense if they knew that Tanya called the shots. Charlie let her paint their bedroom bubblegum pink and said nothing as they amassed a small farm's worth of animals. All he wanted in return was to feel close to her, which he was, up to a point. But as their relationship progressed, Charlie noticed that Tanya was almost incapable of being vulnerable. Case in point, she always wore a full face of makeup even when they had no plans to leave the house. It seemed like she didn't want anyone to see the real her, including Charlie. He asked her questions to try to get her to open up, but she didn't share much. She assured him that he knew her better than anyone else and Charlie tried to believe it. The dynamic likely triggered Charlie's abandonment issues. This was probably compounded by the fact that his relationship with his stepfather, George, had been strained for many years. Sometimes Charlie felt like if it wasn't for his mom, George would have cut and run a long time ago. So when George told him he should branch out and open his own shop, Charlie was taken aback. He wondered if it was some kind of test. Perhaps George wanted Charlie to prove he could run his own business, he was getting close to retirement after all. Wanting to earn George's respect, Charlie leased the old post office across the street from George's shop. The location made it easy for Charlie's returning customers to keep seeing him. Charlie tried to feel excited about the new opportunity, but it was hard to do when he and Tanya were dealing with issues at home. Her oldest boy had just turned 13 and exhibited some alarming behavioral problems, like jumping out of a moving car because he didn't want to go wherever they were headed. His attitude at school was just as bad, and no one seemed to know the best way to handle it. Tanya and Charlie were called into the principal's office so often they missed multiple shifts at work each week. They couldn't afford to lose those paychecks. Although they needed the income, Tanya felt it would be better if she quit her nursing job. That way, she'd have more time to take care of the kids at least. Charlie supported her decision, but worried it would be tough to get by on his salary alone. Then one day, inspiration struck. The old post office building had more space than Charlie needed. A good portion of the manager's office went unused. He pitched the idea that Tanya could open a business of her own, maybe a clothing store since she loved fashion so much. Tanya loved the idea and immediately got to work. She named her store a tiny taste of toot. After her childhood nickname, she sold going out clothes, the kind of stuff she wore to shuckers. 
It wasn't a gold mine, but if someone wanted to buy anything other than motor oil, their options were to go somewhere out of town or to Toots. The main goal, though, was to allow Tanya to adjust her schedule based on her son's needs. This became especially important when things got so bad that she had to pull him out of school altogether and start homeschooling. By this point, Tanya and Charlie had been together less than a year. He figured if they could survive raising a teenager and sharing an office space, they could get through anything. He decided to make things official sooner rather than later. He took Tanya to the diner in town that served nice entrees, complete with dinner rolls. He was a ball of nerves the entire night. He kept going outside, hoping the fresh air would calm him down, but his shaking hands gave him away. Tanya could tell he was working himself up to say something important. All his back and forth was making her nervous. Finally, she told him to just get on with it already. So... Charlie let out a deep breath and popped the question. It didn't go exactly as planned. He couldn't even get on his knee because the place was so crowded. Tanya didn't care. She gave a resolute yes. Though she wanted to keep it a secret, at least for a little while. When she felt ready to share the news, he could redo the proposal and make it bigger and better. Tanya suggested the second proposal take place on her birthday. Always happy to give her what she wanted, Charlie agreed. When the big night finally came, the couple celebrated at Shuckers. Suddenly, Charlie leapt onto the stage with the band. After quieting the crowd, he took the microphone and delivered a heartfelt speech about how much better his life was with Tanya in it. He jumped down to meet her on the dance floor, Everyone gasped as he knelt down on one knee. Tanya froze, a look of surprise plastered on her face, before excitedly proclaiming yes to thunderous applause. Just when the audience thought it couldn't get more perfect, Charlie gave the signal to bring out the cake. It was the kind of proposal that only happened in the movies, just as Tanya had planned it. But if people thought that was over the top, they wouldn't believe Tanya's wedding plans. She vowed to throw a ceremony the likes of which Accomack County had never seen. She planned for 300 guests and chose an elaborate gown she'd seen in a music video. But while Tanya talked nonstop about her dream wedding, the reality was their financial situation hadn't changed. Neither of their businesses was doing well enough to fund such an extravagant party. Charlie started taking side jobs in the hopes that maybe they could save enough for something special. But by 2012, the recession still hadn't let up and he couldn't get much work. The pressure continued to build. Charlie's daughter, who was around 14 at the time, started to visit him less and less. He told himself she'd just reached the stage where she only wanted to hang out with her friends. The truth was, though, her mom had somehow become convinced that Charlie and Tanya were both using drugs. To make matters even worse, Charlie's mom passed away in May of that year after battling cancer. He was devastated. Since moving out of George's shop, he'd hardly spoken to his stepfather. With her gone... 
Charlie felt well and truly isolated. Tanya was officially all he had. She didn't have much family left either, so they were entirely dependent on each other. Despite the challenges they were facing, Tanya insisted they maintain a positive front. She seemed terrified of anyone finding out exactly how much they were struggling. By November, they discovered a cheap way to get out of the house and away from their problems. After the kids were in bed, Charlie and Tanya would go for long, late-night drives. Their property was surrounded by miles of dark, winding country roads that crisscrossed through the county. They'd meander aimlessly for hours without seeing another car or person. It seemed like they were the only two people left in the entire world. The feeling was heightened by the hundreds of abandoned structures around them. The apocalyptic landscape matched their moods. Some nights they talked, and on others, they simply took in the silence. Over the weeks, the quiet became more pronounced. On the night of November 12, 2012, Tanya had something to get off her chest. Aside from their financial struggles, things between the two of them had been off lately. Tanya was giving Charlie an out. He could walk away from her and her messy life, and she wouldn't hold it against him. That was the last thing Charlie wanted, and he told her so. He wanted to be with her forever and would do whatever it took to make her happy. He practically begged her to tell him how to fix their relationship. Tanya pulled the car over and looked out of the passenger window, past Charlie into the darkening field. The stress of the last six months weighed on her. Like Charlie, she felt trapped, pinned in place. Staring out into the dimming light, she saw one of the many dilapidated homes in the distance. Suddenly, she had an idea. She told Charlie the only thing he had to do to make her happy was burn down that old house. Charlie laughed, but when he looked at her, he could tell she was deadly serious. All of a sudden, it felt like he was being tested. His firefighter instincts clashed with his need for love. Charlie couldn't lose Tanya on top of everything else in his life. He just wouldn't survive it. But somehow, this seemed like the kind of test he was bound to fail. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back next week with part two. Charlie and Tanya's dangerous new pastime spreads terror across Accomack County. By the time they're stopped, everything has already gone up in flames. For more information on Charlie and Tanya, we found American Fire, Love, Arson, and Life in a Vanishing Land by Monica Hesse extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Megan Hannum, edited by Natalie Pertsovsky and Terrell Wells, fact-checked by Haley Milligan, researched by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood, 
and produced by Aaron Larson. I'm Lainey Hobbs. 